Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, Lafonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg, joined by Jay Billis and Lafonso Ellis. And before we even get into any hoop, Fonz, the Newt Rockney of Notre Dame basketball. I want to know what was in the magic juice to the speech to Notre Dame to carry them through that win against Kentucky. Uh, the added pressure of Jay Billis telling me not to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, no, I, I had said before, Seth, we had uh, three guys in my class, my senior class, who played in the NBA for everyone for different lengths of time. So we had talent. And uh, we started off the season. I thought we were one in five. They reminded me that we were 0 at 6. And around this same time of the year, we were getting ready to go. Diggy used to always like to take us on these road trips over winter break. And uh, so we were due to face SC at SC, LaSalle at the Palestra, North Carolina at the uh, <clears throat> Garden, and then uh, go to West Virginia. And uh, we had a team meeting before, and we kept telling each other that we have enough. And uh, we went out and beat top 25 USC, beat LaSalle at the Palestra, and then knocked off, I think uh, North Carolina was second or seventh, I can't remember, in the garden. And then uh, because of that expenditure of uh, energy and focus, we got swamped going down to West Virginia. But that turned the tide for the rest of our season. And I felt that that, was, that could relate well with, with, with this group. And uh, I don't know if I did it, had anything to do with it, but I could certainly relate to where they were at. I hope you can tell them about the last game. I think it related well. I mean, I, I was there and watched it. I could actually hear Fonz. He, so Mike Bray gave him his ring in front of the team, and there were a bunch of former players behind the bench. And uh, and then Fonz said, you know, said to Mike, "I'd like to I'd like to speak with the team privately if I could." And they all gathered around him uh, in almost like a huddle, and and I was close enough where I could hear it. And he actually talked about about the Kentucky game after saying we have enough, you have enough, and he called the players out by name. He said, you know, you're good, you're good, you're good, and all that stuff. And then and then he said, you've got to make Kentucky feel you, and uh, they've got to feel you from the opening tap for 40 minutes, and and physically, mentally, everything. And and you could tell the players were they were really impressed. Like you you know you, you know Seth, it is not yeah. easy to impress a player. It wasn't Digger's speech. It wasn't Digger's speech. Jim Fallon. It was not that one. Uh, but he had. Yeah, I mean, he had those guys uh, all eyes on him and everything. It, it was really awesome. It was really awesome. Well, that, that that was a heck of a a heck of a finish, a heck of a game. And uh, all I know is right now, in folklore right now, Fonz, it's right there. Newt Rockney. Fonzarelli standing side by side. <laughs> hey, all I want to know is, hey, we're in studio together today. Do I get the same speech? Like, hey, you know, the, the audience needs to feel you today. <laughs> they want to hear you. They want to feel you because if they yes. hear you, they won't feel you. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we're going to hold hey, you know, accountable. You, you know, Seth, what, what we were talking before we came uh, came on the show, and Fonz wore his uh, Notre Dame Letterman's jacket, and you were commenting uh, how good it looked, and and it still fit. But but one thing, uh, one thing that didn't get broadcast is – you know, Fonz didn't button that thing up. It, it <laughs> might not have fit. <laughs> but if I button it up, you can see my green button. Those basketball shirts. Oh, that's the reason. <laughs> okay. I don't want the 
I saw it, Fonz, and it looked good. Hey, and, and it was what what a game! And I'm, I'm and and you know what, Fonz, the last thing, and we'll move on to uh, something else. But like seeing that thing up in 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 the rafters, I got to be honest with you, that moved me. I mean, like seeing that thing up was like every time you're gonna walk in that building, like you're front and center, man. That that that's. That is pretty special, and I like. I sat there, and like I, I started. Sh- I'm sitting there in my shit seat. I'm like, shit. I'm, I'm like, here. That thing's gonna be up there forever. That's pretty yeah, cool, man. It's an unbelievable honor, Seth. And it was important to me. Jay and I talked about it both uh, in private and on air. It was important for me to have my teammates understand that every time they walk in and they see it, they've contributed to that. By the grace of God, we did that together, and I hope they would tell their kids and grandkids that. Well, it was beautiful. Uh, and just real quick before we get into to hoops, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people in uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, Ooh, and yes. throughout uh, that corridor that has gotten devastated by the mm-hmm. tornadoes. And, uh, you know, Jay and I were talking about it. it. It's amazing the support that those people are getting today. But, you know, it's not just today. It's moving forward and how difficult their lives will be and yeah. to rebuild. And Jay made a great point. He said, you know, like that town might might be gone forever. Uh, a whole town is, wow. is surplaced to Jay. You know, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't think about it that way, but you know, to rebuild that, how do you rebuild a town and a community? Uh, man, it's, it's just devastating. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think about that either. I, I heard a member of the community on a, a, a new show uh, yesterday talking about it. And I hadn't thought about it that way that, at the entire town was devastated. I mean, it, 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 it literally is all gone. And how do you stay there and have a life for the period of time that it takes to rebuild? I mean, now, hopefully, if people do have to, to leave for a period of time that they can rebuild and come back. But that's a tall order. Yes. And until until a member of the Mayfield, Kentucky community had had talked about it that way, uh, I hadn't look. I didn't grow up in 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 the Midwest and the the Southeast, all that stuff. So tornadoes and weather events like this are still yeah. foreign to me. But but Fonz, you and I were in South Bend. It was it was brutal in South Bend, and that did not come close to what it was in yes. parts of Illinois and and parts of uh, of Kentucky, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas. Um, yeah. That was that was an event that we haven't seen in maybe a hundred years. I think it was 96 years. It was not probably 1925 that there was a, a tornado uh, of that size with that kind of devastation. It was it, it, it talk about moving. That was un, it yeah. was and remains unbelievably moving. Yeah, so sad. It's so uh, sad. Uh, Getting into hoops. Uh, watching Baylor Sunday. That was as good a defensive game plan and as swarming a defense and a connected defense and alert defense and physical defense as maybe I've seen since last year in the national championship game. What were you guys take on that game? Same thing for me. Uh, The thing that impressed me most, Seth, was it reminded me of last year's team which I didn't think they could duplicate without those particular parts that they lost. And, you know, James Akinjo comes in from Arizona and plays like a different player. I mean, he's, he was very good. He's all pac 12. He's very good at Arizona, but he wasn't this good. He wasn't like this. 
And, and all, all these players have stepped forward out of roles that were supporting last year into being lead roles. And it was, it was stunning. Um, I will tell you though, it's not just the Baylor game and it's not Baylor. It's everybody. Um, Freedom of movement died a horrible death from last year to this year. There is a, these games are wrestling matches now. Yes. And I don't blame I the coaches. I can coach you again now. Yeah, I, don't blame, I don't blame the coaches, but, but while, while we were all talking about Baylor's defense and we should, you know, Baylor scored 57 points. Right. I know. Like they, they, you know, Villanova's defense wasn't bad. It's pretty it's good. They couldn't score. And, and I'm like, dang, we are back to the games in the fifties again. And that is not good for the game. I mean, I hope, and, and look, it, 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 I don't blame the officials. I blame the people who employ the officials. And so the rules committee, the competition committee, every supervisor, you have all failed and you're failing. We have all failed and, and we need, we need to admit it because all this freedom of movement stuff, it's dead. And, and that's a, that's a bad, that's a bad thing for the game. I, I thought I agree with you, Jay, and, and I thought that I, I thought I found it interesting that Baylor could beat a Villanova team and shoot as poorly as they did. Uh, I, I think guys like Kendall Brown, six eight, long arm, athletic. Uh, the way that he can cover ground and, and erase mistakes, even as a freshman, what, what was really impressive to me. My guy Matt Meyer. Matt Meyer, one of the leading scorers on the team, he goes one for 10 and they still win. So the, 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 the versatility uh, that they have amongst their wings and their forwards are, are really impressive and their ability to cover ground. And I, and I think that's really what makes their defense so good this year because they don't have a guy like Mark Vidal. Mark Vidal was the guy who's erased a lot of mistakes last year with his ability to be able to take charges. He would block shots, et cetera. And I've been just really impressed. With, with the two freshmen, including I've always messed mess his name up, Jeremy. So can. Yeah, so can. Those two, those two dudes have added a, 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 an element to that Baylor defense that's been really impressive here early. It's interesting you say vital because my first thought, Fonz, was Davion Mitchell. Like, how sure. do you duplicate a defense Great without point. having that on the ball. putting pressure on the Great ball? Point. Great point. And, 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 you know, they've done it. Like, mm-hmm. those guys, Villanova, I, I, I've never seen them – even last year against Baylor, um, I, I don't think I've ever seen them not be able to breathe. Sure, and yeah. they, they couldn't they couldn't function, and mm-hmm. uh, and that that's really unusual. And yeah. I, look, they could have played better. I know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they could have played better, and they could have handled mm-hmm. it better. But you know, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure who would have beaten Baylor in, sure. in that environment no. that day, fellas. What I think is scary for Baylor, I don't think they're playing as well as they can play. You're talking about a guy like Adam Flagler, for example. Flagler's a 40-plus percent three-point field goal shooter. This year, she's like in the mid-20s. And so I see so much room for improvement for this team. So how dangerous are they going to be, be come March? We don't talk about but you know the ability to switch and keep the ball in front. And JTT is not a good ball screen defender. That Ooh. dude, like, he, he can switch. He covers. He gets back. Yes. I mean, and they show and, – and, when was the last time you saw Villanova play where on closeouts people didn't fly around on all those shot fakes and ball fakes? Right. Like those guys, those guys, you talk about scatter report defense. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. guys closed out hard and all those shot fakes and, and ball fakes, they were <laughs> down and in the state. They weren't fly, like they weren't flying all over the place. Yes. The Big 12 defense across the board, and what agreeing with what Jay said. 
the defense in the Big 12 is at a different level. And, yes. and part of the reason is it's so it's so freaking physical. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of another thing that's pretty physical, Arizona goes in Illinois Ooh. and and wins. Illinois only has four guys score. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that again. They only had four guys score. <laughs> it's hard winning with only four guys scoring. But, yeah. like, Arizona, and I, I keep on saying this, but you got to give Sean Miller, the, guy, the, the, the roster that he left. Yeah. Tommy Lloyd is mm-hmm. you know Matherin and Kirk Chris and and, mm-hmm. and Coloco and yep. I mean Turbellos. Uh I mean he, but Tommy's done a great job of taking that and putting it in his own personality. But Arizona down, fought its way back, defended. Uh Matherin is yes, ooh, man, he is special. And their team is special because that thing never that thing moves, they explode up the floor. I mean, how good do you guys think this Arizona team is? I think they're dynamic. Um, and, and again, as, as I look back at a team from last year, even two years ago, well, really more last year, I'm looking for improvement. I think uh, Ben Matherin is putting up big time numbers. He's certainly worthy of the comment that I, the compliment that I'm going to give. But Christian Coloco's development from last year to this year has been freaking impressive. This dude's seven foot one, blocking shots all over the place. And in some ways, in some ways, uh, he, he he's, I used to think he was uncomfortable and awkward when he caught the ball on the post or if he uh, set a run-out ball screen and kind of short-rolled it. I always thought he was really uncomfortable in that space, and not this year. So they get now, you combine him with Azulis Tabellis, who has the ability to be able to stretch it. Now you have complementary fours and fives, and I think those two make one of the best front courts in all of college basketball. I've been really impressed. They'll be in the top 10 all year long. They're, they're, they've got personnel and they play a style that the players mm-hmm. clearly love because they can get up and down and score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can, you know, it's harder to slow them down. But but if you get them in a half-court game, they can still execute. And they're yeah. tough defensively. I mean, it, it's very much like what Gonzaga built. Uh, and, and while, you know, while Tommy Lloyd inherited some good personnel, they're playing a lot different than they did last year. Totally different. And yeah. uh, so it's a it's a different, it's a totally different team, totally different program. Mm-hmm. And and they they clearly got the right guy. Speaking of the right guy, we're gonna welcome in Kevin Willard, head coach at Seton Hall. And coming off a pretty amazing week, Coach Willard. And uh, you know, you beat Texas, you win that rivalry game against uh, Rutgers. Uh you know, like I told you the other day, watching your team play and how hard they play uh, and defensively and how connected they are defensively, you know, makes you want to coach again. But the biggest thing is this is the most important question I have for you. And then I'll leave it up to these two guys, because this is a really important question. Like the Big East, I see the Big East coaches and they're all wearing, you know, Jay Wright, different color quarter zip every game, you know, cool Ed Cooley's looking good on the sideline. You, on the other hand. You, on the other hand, the fashion icon that you are, are suited up. I mean, you know, very dapper, you know, very Wall Street, uh, you know, and like I'm just trying to figure out, is any truth to the rumor that Jay Wright kidnapped the Big East coaches meeting to have everyone wear, you know, quarter zips and sneakers? But you said, forget it. I am a fashion icon. Yeah, that's a good point, Coach. Uh, I'm going to tell you why. I, I feel so comfortable on this. On this um, I need all the help looking good that I can get. And 
<laughs> when Jay said, when Jay said, you know, we're going to wear quarter zips, I'm looking over at him and there he is in a nice quarter zip with his beautiful hair, you know, nice and slim, good looking guy. And I'm sitting there going, Jay doesn't need any help looking good. I said, I need all the help I can get looking good. And so uh, my wife talked me into it. She said, I, she goes, I like when you dress up. I like when you uh, wear a suit. And when the boss tells you to wear a suit, you wear a suit. How pissed off was your staff? <laughs> you know, Jay, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. They all wanted to wear suits. They're, wow. they, they were like, you know, I have all these ties. I have all these suits. We, you know, we're coaches. We, you know, I wear sweats every day. I mean, I'm wearing sweats today for practice. So it's like, they were like, you know, we have all this stuff. We don't wear them anywhere else. We don't wear them recruiting. We don't wear them. You know, they don't go to alumni functions. So for them, it gives them a chance to wear all the stuff that they've had for the last 10 years and they enjoy it. How many blue and white ties can you have that you just leave in the closet and they can't wear? I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, it's the whole point. I mean, I have, I must have 30 blue and white ties. I mean, where else am I going to wear? Where else am I going to do? <laughs> it just makes sense to get back to a suit and tie. And I, I, as stupid as this sounds, I don't put my hands in my pockets when I wear a suit. For some reason, when I had a quarter zip and pants on, I found myself putting my hands in the pockets during the game. And I looked like I was just casually out there, not coaching. It drove me up the wall. So <laughs> I, I think, I think it looks good. I think it's a professional look. Um, screw people- Clooney. Screw Clooney. He doesn't make the decisions for the rest of the league. I mean, just because he looks like George Clooney doesn't mean he's, a, you know, he controls the, the dapperness of Kevin Willard on the sidelines. Uh, yeah, all the guys before me, uh, the great PJ, Obviously, Coach Raff, I mean, he had, he had great style. I mean, some of the jackets he wore were, were you know, just beautiful. Um, but I, I, I always say if the people before us were doing it, maybe, you know, and, and they got this sport to where it is, maybe we should continue their traditions. After he wore, like, polyester three-piece, like, uh, Saturday Night Fever suits, <laughs> that, that was not – I would not want to see those now. That, that, would be, that would be a bad fashion trend. <laughs> I've been trying to get him to bring him back out. He won't. <laughs> I know he still has them. I mean, you know, he can't, he won't pick up dinner. So I know he still has them. <laughs> <laughs> if suits oh, and quarter good. zips come and grow, but hairstyles last forever. I love your hairstyle, man. So just, just keep it rolling here to continue to be one of our, actually, would you like to become a card? A card carrying member of the Baldman Brotherhood. I, I would, I would love to. I, you know, it's. Uh, I, I'm in a window right now, so I got, I got nice reflection going. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to represent it as best I can. <laughs> nice. Well, as, we, as we tell people, yeah. it's not a choice. <laughs> <laughs> you lose my favorite player in all the college basketball, Sandro Mamushkelisvili, last year, and. Uh, Coming into this season, did you imagine that Jared Roden would be the player that he's become? You, you know, Alfonso, yes. Um, just because the our last six or seven games last year, um, you know, we use Sandro as a point guard, um, mm-hmm. a second ball handler to create shots for for guys, and he had really he started getting double teamed. He started getting trapped in the post. Every you know, pick and rolls, he was getting trapped. Um, and so we really moved the ball over to Jared and try to get give Jared a little bit more playmaking abilities. And, you know, his last five or six games of the season last year, he was averaging close to 21, 22 points a game. Um, and really, I could see the confidence in the fact that, you know, he had confidence that he could uh, continue what all, you know, the guys making steps in our program do. 
Uh, and he, you know, there's not a harder worker in our program. So I had so much confidence this summer that um, I could put an offense in that would give him the opportunity to become the player he has become. I think he's an NBA player. I mean, it, it, he's so long and, and active. Do you, is he, Kevin, is he your best defender, do you think? Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know, Miles Kale is probably my best defender. Um, you know, like let, the other night, Geo Baker started to get going. I just, you know, in a timeout, I said, okay, Miles, go shut him down. And that was over for Gio. I mean, uh, and I can put my, I, I can put miles one through five and I can sit there and say, uh, lock it down. What Jared is, uh, Jared's my most active defender. And you know, what he has is, he, you know, the NBA still has a mid range game. If you look, if you look at what everyone does, you know, they, they live in that mid range game. Jared has an unbelievable mid range game. Um, you know, the other night he made, he made four straight, uh, off the dribble pull-ups, you know, when the game got tight and it's like, it's not a bad shot because he's got a great mid-range game. He's got, he's got great length. He takes care of his body. Um, he's, he's one of hard worker. I think he's going to, I think he's going to really be a good NBA player. What, what would the take care of his body thing? What, what, what does he do and what do your players do now that, that is different from maybe 10 years ago or all that and taking care of your body when I was in school, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to the pub after the game. <laughs> no, I, I, th- you know what, no, it's, uh, I think LeBron has had an unbelievable effect. Uh, guys like Steph Curry, LeBron, um, with the way they take care of their body and how much they, they talk about getting sleep, getting rest, uh, staying hydrated, um, eating the right way. You know, Jared is, and, and you know, most of my guys are, are really into taking care of their body from that aspect of uh, shutting down their phones and getting off social media for, for bigger periods of time, getting sleep uh, and really kind of eating at a very high level. So it, it, I, I, you know, the NBA game has affected the college games. I think sometimes not in a great way, but I think the way the NBA guys really talk about nutrition and sleep has really helped the college guys. So you go into the dirty after your pit games or CJ Barney's for a burger and like, you know, something greasy. They don't do that like you. No, no. <laughs> after I turned it over three times and went over two from the field, I, you know, I would, I would go down and uh, grab a Permanis brother and a, and an icy light. These guys, <laughs> these guys are, these guys are quickly going, you know, we, we have a, you know, we have a catered meal after the game. Um, we making sure that they, they, they're getting everything they need to get hydrated. Um, and we talk a lot about getting sleep. I mean, this generation is under a lot of stress with social media, Twitter, all this stuff. And it's, it's only getting worse. Um, you know, we really talk to them about getting off their phones and getting sleep and they've taken it. They, they really do it. So the, the social media thing that, that you were talking about with, with your team, you know, getting away from it, is, is that kind of started by, by you and your staff or how has that evolved and, and, and talk about that a little bit. That's fascinating. Yeah, well, we have a really good sports psychiatrist, um, and I brought him into the program about four years ago when I really started seeing the stress of instantly after a game, the guys getting on the phone, and even if a kid played well, all of a sudden being down the next day because of the social the social media interactions. Uh, and so I brought a sports psychiatrist in, and he speaks with them twice a week, uh, constantly about you know the importance of mental health and. Uh, especially with everything we went through the last couple of years. Um, it's been something that, uh, you know, Pete has been great having in the program. He's such a positive influence on these guys. And it's great not coming from me. You know, it, it's I, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on social media. So it doesn't affect me. I, you know, I, 
you know, my kids come up to me and say, you know, dad, you know, coach Greenberg said something great about you on, on Twitter. And then I, I had to text Seth because I didn't even know about it because I'm not on it. Um, you know, for, for Pete to sit there and say, Hey guys, you need an hour a day, just an hour, turn off your phone, sit in a nice quiet room, let your brain and think positively, put some nice, some good music on. It's really helped my team. Uh, I would say recover post game because they, he makes him get off it, and it's great. Hey, uh, you got a big game coming up this Saturday. You have those two games, and then what, what were you thinking <laughs> scheduling the boy Barron and Matt, Matt as a square guard? I mean, you, you, your mentor, I, you know, I mean, forget about what he's going to be wearing. He might change at halftime for all we know. But like, <laughs> what, were you think, what were you thinking scheduling Rick after Rutgers in Madison Square Garden? All right, th- this, is, this is a true story, and no one believes me, um, but it is true. So last year I got COVID um, right before the season started. And so, you know, back then it was 14 days isolation and, you know, I had to stay away from my kids, my wife. So I was in a little room for 14 days and um, there's nothing you could really do. I mean, I don't play video games. You're watching TV. I read some books, but I also drank, I probably drank a little bit too much red wine while I was in isolation. And he called me one night around like nine o'clock. And they were in, they were shut down. And he said, Kevy boy, he goes, I need a game. He goes, I know you guys have been locked down. We've been locked down. He goes, will you play us? And I was like, you know, when it really wasn't an ask. (laughs) 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 You know, when you work work for someone for 10 years, you kind of know the difference between a question and a a demand. Uh, (laughs) And I was... (laughs) You know, I said, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the walls and I'm going crazy. It's my, I think it was my 11th day in quarantine. I said, coach, absolutely. I'd love to play. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do it. And, uh, you know, it was like seven, we played seven days later. And when, when we got the contract, you know, in it was a return to Madison Square Garden. And it was never really discussed that we were going to return this game into Madison Square Garden. So when I saw him at before the game, I said, coach, I said, you look great. It's great to see you. I said, he goes, Kevy boy, I'm so excited that you return to the game in Madison Square Garden next year. I can't wait. He shook my hand and walked away. And that was the end. That was the end. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked back to my staff and I said, well, we're playing in the garden next year. I said, <laughs> that's priceless. You know, people, so people may have, people have their own opinions on Rick Pitino. I don't argue with people. I, I think what I think, let them think what they think, but one thing that, of the many things that there are no argument about with Rick is he's one of the best teachers of the game I think that's ever lived. And being around him so much and working for him and knowing him as you do, can you share maybe a story or or an anecdote uh, that 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 illuminates what a great teacher of the game he is? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell this to everybody. You know, I built this. I built Seton Hall around the fact that. But what I learned from Rick Pitino was your job as a college coach is to get your players better every day. And the only way to do that is through individual instruction. And I'll never forget, like it was my, it was, and Mick Cronin will back me up on this. It was our, it was our first year there. Um, we weren't very good at Louisville, um, but we had a player named Reese Gaines, um, who was a terrific young man, more of a two guard, small forward. Um, and we really didn't have a point guard. And Coach Patino came in one day and said, you know, if, if we're going to get this program turned around the way I want to get it turned around, he goes, we're going to have to make Reese Gaines a point guard. 
And I'm, I'll never forget Mick Cronin looking at me like, you know, like this guy's nuts. Like I know he's a Hall of Famer, but, uh, and what coach Bettino brings so much enthusiasm, such a hard work every morning, 8 a.m. Reese Gaines and individual instruction, uh, next group at nine o'clock, next group at 10 o'clock. And, you know, in the NBA, we didn't do it as much. My first four years with him were with the Boston Celtics. So we had other players doing player development. He didn't quite do it. But what he did every day for six years, I was there. He showed up every day, six o'clock in the morning for a staff meeting, 8 a.m. for the first individual. And he was in the gym with his players every single day with with not he, he didn't show up with a coffee and and just kind of going through the motions. And all right, Kevin, let's do three twos and ones. He did every drill. He nitpicked on every footwork. He worked on the kids forms. Uh, he turned Reese Gaines into an NBA player within a year, not because of his offense, not because of his great defense, but because of his passion for getting kids better. And he truly believes it. And he passed it on to, you know, Mick, to me, or everyone that's worked for him. Your job as a college coach, we all have to win games and you have to keep your alumni happy. But his belief is that you must make your kids better. That is your job as a college coach. You're, they, they come to you out of high school. You must mold them. You must work with them and you must make them better every day. And that's what he does. He is amazing at it. He is the most passionate coach I have ever seen. And even to this day, I did a coaching clinic with him a month ago, I guess two months ago now. And I was still blown away. He has the same enthusiasm, the same passion for individual instruction he did today than when he was working with Billy Donovan. He's an he's an amazing person. He's an amazing coach. How many times you fire you? Seth, yeah, I was about to ask Seth. <laughs> how much how much would you pay? How much would you pay to sit in on those coaches' meetings with Kevin Willard, Mick Cronin, and Rick Pitino? I would have paid a ton of money to listen to that. So every every morning, six a.m. It was every morning, and so that means you had to get in at five because you had to be prepared for the six a.m. staff meeting because he'd come in like a like he'd come in like a buzzsaw. He's like he'd walk by the office, and you knew like you you, you had to be ready. But with Mick, it was great, you know, because you know Mick, you know, I, I'm sure Mick last night was betting on the horses just like he was every other night, but they would talk about horses for the first hour and a half. So it'd be like, Hey, you know, we got something run at Churchill today. I love, I love the four in the, in the six race. You know, like I got it. We can box it with the one going like, and I'm sitting there going, I'm sitting there going, I woke up at five. I watched film. And now we're talking about, we're talking about the fifth race at, at Belmont, uh, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon. And we got to stop practice at two because you know, he's over by watching the team and we would stop practice because him and Mick would walk over. Fred Hina was the greatest trainer of all time. He had a TV set up. He had TVG going on and he's sitting there. Come on with the two. Come on with the two. Then all of a sudden, you know, if Mick gave him the tip and it lost, Mick would like fired. Mick's going, Mick's going recruiting. Or if Mick came the winner, you know, he, Mick's over there. Going, let's go. <laughs> I'm going. I'm sitting there going, why am I waking up at 5 a.m. to talk about the sixth race at Belmont? I go, and then of course, you know, you get suckered into it. And Mick's like, hey, you know, give me fifty dollars. You know, I got, a, I, I got a tip. And you know, so now, now you're giving them fifty dollars to bet on the race. And then he, he, Mick, Mick's the greatest. He he'll always come over to me. Goes, oh, we just lost by a nose. <laughs> I never won with Mick. Anytime I bet with Mick, you know, hey, Kevin, give me a hundred. I got a great box that, you know, you know, and I never, 
to this day, I still bet with him. Yeah, he'll, he'll shoot me a text. I got a great horse. Good, you know, and, and it's like, and I always get the text. Oh, we lost by a nose. Lost my nose. <laughs> yeah, they probably took the horse out and shot it after the race. <laughs> That's so good. Hey, hey, hey Bryce Aikens. Man, I, mm-hmm. t- I watched that dude. That dude can flat ball. Yeah, it, you different. know what? He, he Bryce, um, you know, COVID hurt Bryce's recovery really bad because he had surgery. And because he couldn't get the rehab, um, and we were we were locked out until August. He, we couldn't get him until August. His rehab coming out of COVID was really difficult. Um, and he worked really hard to try to play last year. Um, he just had two bad – he had two bad ankle injuries. It was really unlucky. But he had a full summer this year um, of not only just being able to lift weights, rehab his knee, rehab his body, um, but to work on his game. And it's given him his confidence back. And I think it's given – it definitely gave the team confidence in what he can do. Where last year, because he couldn't practice as much, uh, there was times in games where he would do stuff and guys were like, what's going on? Now that we've played with him and worked with him, you know, he shoots a 37-footer off the break. You know, he does that in practice and makes it. You know, he's going to make those. So uh, he's worked hard. He's got great confidence. And, and we have great confidence in what he can do. So give, give us one thing that your team has to continue to do to be the best you can be. And one thing you have to do a lot better to be the best you can be. Yeah, we, we've we've rebounded at a really good, a really good rate. We got to continue to rebound the basketball. It's given us uh, a lot of easy second shots. It's given us some easy buckets inside. Uh, Tyree Samuel's been a beast on the boards. He's been great. We got to continue to rebound the ball. And then for us, I, I think we're, we're not very good offensively right now. You know, there's a lot of times where the ball sticks. We over dribble. Um, you know, that's the hard thing about bringing in transfers and they're being eligible right away. It's, it's great. You can change your program like that. But at the same time, getting everybody to be, you know, I have a guy that played in the Princeton offense last year. I, I don't run the Princeton offense. Like, you know, that's, you know, I can't even spell Princeton. <laughs> he's running, he's trying to run cuts that he's been running for three years and I'm trying to get him to do things that we do. Um, and it just, it, there's a patience that yet everyone has to be a little bit patient and, if we can get better offensively, I think we could be much better than where we are now. Great stuff. Great stuff. That's good. Kev, appreciate you, man. Appreciate no, you. Thank you, guys. Now, I, hey, this you, is an you honor. gave your old man a little. By the way, the old man still got hair. You don't. There's a problem there. I don't understand. <laughs> he, someone screwed you on that one. But uh, t- tell your tell your pop, you talk about great coaches. His dad, Ralph Willard, the job he did everywhere he's been, incredible. No, thank you, Coach. It's an honor to be on here. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, good luck in the fifth at Keeneland. (laughs) (laughs) Phyllis wants to make a couple shekels. (laughs) See you guys. Bye. (laughs) Wrapping up, uh, how about the Big East in general? Really good. I mean, Xavier's Xavier's playing at. I won't call it Xavier, even though I like to call it Xavier because it pisses off the Xavier fans. So, sure. but I'll I'll call it. I mean, Xavier's really good. Top to bottom, the league is really really good. I've been blown away by you know. I knew it'd be good. I didn't think it'd be this good. And sure. and I I thought Villanova would be the best team by far, and, mm-hmm. and they're not. They may be the best team, but it's not going to be by far. Uh, that that is. And, and how about DePaul? Like DePaul has uh, come out of the gate uh, unbelievably hard and they're good. I mean, that is a, that is a damn good team. 
that is that I think is going to be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and who would have thought that, uh, you know, over the summer? So, you know, Tony, uh, Tony Stubblefield is doing a great job and they've got good players. Uh, I, I'm really impressed. So you mentioned Paul Marcus Liberty Freeman. I Ooh. feel like he's developed the balance of when to, when not to. You know, he's an elite level scorer. He can get down the lane and make plays. But I feel the the his patience now, once he gets in the gap, to be determined if he should shoot it or move it, is greatly improved from last year. And as you know, our game, if you have good guards, you can go a long way. I've been really impressed when I've watched DePaul. And I think when I think of Xavier, uh, sometimes, obviously, early season, you don't want to lose any players. But I think with Zach Fremantle being out, I think it's given tremendous confidence to Jack Nunji. I mean, Jack Nunji, I thought was going to be more of a rotational guy, rebounder, defense, of course, has an open three. He would knock it down. They've actually been giving it to him in the post, and he's been making plays coming off a 31-point game. So that's another team in Xavier who I think is going to be so much better in March. I know they missed Zach Fremantle, but I think his being out allowed some other guys to rise up. And anytime you get a deeper bench, it helps you come March. Same thing happened with UConn. UConn, you know, obviously they lose Tyrese Martin, who's maybe one of the toughest guys on their team, and Adama Sinogo, who's mm-hmm. not good but terrific. A cook, a cook was kind of losing his place, losing his confidence, wasn't in the rotation. Yep. He goes back to back games, you know, really does a nice job getting on the glass, makes a couple of shots, can protect the rim. Uh, all of a sudden, a win, I, and I understand Lofton didn't play for St. Bonaventure, and that's a huge loss, but mm-hmm. the win against St. Bonaventure on a neutral court is going to be huge. They had a, a rock fight against uh, West Virginia that they lost, but you know the depth of UConn, the depth mm-hmm. of Xavier, mm-hmm. uh, the play of Providence. Yeah. Uh, Providence is really playing at a high level. That Texas Tech win, either about Texas Tech goes and wax Tennessee. I mean, that Texas Tech win is going to be – a valuable win. The depth of this conference uh, is it's as deep what the job shock is doing at Marquette and how yes. they're playing. Uh, uh, the depth of this league is, is legit. Now I'm going to, I'm going to throw something at you. I want to see if you agree or disagree with me. The depth of the sec is a little bit misleading. Like they've got good teams, but and I think they're, they have good teams, but they don't really have quality wins down the line. If you look at some of the teams, like Arkansas hasn't played a road game. I don't think LSU's played a road game. Kentucky goes to, you know, and loses at Notre Dame. And I still think Kentucky's going to be fine. We'll talk about that at the end. But are we overhyping the SEC? We know the Big 12. We know the Big East. We know the ACC's down. Are we overhyping the SEC a little bit? I like Alabama and Auburn, for sure. Yeah, it probably goes back to what we had talked about uh, a week ago or a few weeks ago, whatever it is, about how you define, you know, a great conference. Is it is it power at the top or is it depth of of good teams like the SEC has got a, a, a great depth of good teams? I don't know how many teams they have that 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 are going to compete for the whole thing. Like, I think Alabama can and will. Uh, I'm incredibly impressed by Auburn. And I think Jabari Smith is, uh, if he's not being talked about as the one pick, that is a mistake because he may be better than both Holmgren and, uh, and Bancaro. That dude is the real deal. Yes. And there, there's a smoothness to hit, to how he does things that make it look like it's near effortless. And I know there's effort going into it, but his ceiling is pretty damn high. I, I'm, I'm impressed, uh, beyond impressed. But yeah, I don't know, Seth, whether, you know, how it's going to shake out. I, I know, like, I have not been impressed with what I've seen out of the ACC. 
I think the Pac-12 is way better at the top than I expected it to be, uh, largely because of Arizona. Um, but Oregon, I thought Oregon was going to be up there and they're not. <laughs> um, so so that may that may take back what I just said. And I think the Big Ten is going to be uh, in the mix for, for all this stuff. But that's a fair point about the SEC. I just think, uh, it, you know, it depends how we define it. Yeah, and I think out of uh, with it's going to be difficult to really evaluate them because to you guys' point, they don't they haven't really had the level of competition outside. And, and I'm talking top to bottom outside of, uh, of neutral court sites. And I'm just not sure how to really evaluate them. The, the one thing that I can say is the Big East is so far better than I thought it was going to be, Jay. I actually thought that they would have four, no more than five teams get into the NCAA tournament. I could be wrong about that in the end. And the, the conference that I've been disappointed with so far is I only see three teams from the Pac-12 getting in, and that would be UCLA, USC, and Arizona. And I thought – Three top I ten thought, teams. Say it again, please. There's three top ten teams this week. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then beyond that. And so and, – and I agree with you guys. I, the, I, I'm not sure – the ACC is going to be really interesting because I had them getting seven to eight teams in. I'm thinking right now it may be three to four which is unreal when you start to think about the history of the ACC. Virginia Tech is not as good as I actually thought that they were going to be. Uh, and then some of the teams in the middle, like a Notre Dame, for example, uh, early on, with the exception of this most recent win with Kentucky, and, uh, and hopefully this will springboard, springboard them into more wins. But I thought they would be better to represent the middle part of the conference. So I, I agree with you both. Hard to really evaluate the SEC having not played against a uh, higher level of competition, especially in true road game situations. Seth, that just shows that just shows that Fonz is on the opposite side of the spectrum in this too from Digger Phelps because Digger used to have 89 teams in the NCAA tournament. Fonz now has 14. <laughs> it's a 14 team tournament. Two teams have a bye. And we'll get this thing over with in one weekend. One weekend, uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, clo I'm closer to Fonz. I mean, it, it, it's going to be like, you look at the ACC. I mean, you have to find a way to get quality wins, but where are your quality wins? You know, yes. Carolina and, and Duke. I think Wake Forest is a lot better than people think. I, I agree. Think I think now they got whacked by LSU. But, yep. you know, where, where, do you, where do you get your quality wins? I'll tell you, everything changes and the league's going to change. But the Big 12 is, I mean – you talk about top to bottom and number of really competitive teams, you know, and teams that maybe can win it all. I mean, like you watch Kansas the other day, they're starting to figure it out. And Jalen Wilson isn't even getting it. Christian Brown is the way he plays the game. Like he yep. was now Missouri is not very good, but Ooh. I mean, the plays that he's like Randy Martin starting to figure it out. They're defending. They, they guarded the ball a whole lot better than they guarded it early in the season. And yeah, you know, obviously the way Baylor's playing and Iowa State defensively and mm -hmm. Texas Tech defensively and Oklahoma with the win against yeah. you know Arkansas the other day. I mean, like the Big 12, which won't be the Big 12, and there are only 10 of them now, but whatever. I mean, it's the worst team conference <laughs> in America. But I mean, like the Big 12, I mean, like, where does the fit Big 12 fit in the hierarchy, Jay? Right up there. That that's sort of the that's sort of the point is is you know, based on how you define it, they probably have better teams at the top and, and maybe their depth is just as good, if not better than the SEC or the Big Ten. Um, you know, like at, at the end of it, like all this stuff about conferences, like nobody hangs a banner for best conference. And right. and so, you know, to me, like one of the things I'm fascinated by now is kind of so Villanova has lost three times. 
but they've lost a who they lost a UCLA, they lost at Baylor, and they lost Purdue. one of yeah, Purdue. Purdue. Yeah. And you're going, the schedule they've played, like, wouldn't you rather be like I'd rather be Villanova right now than a number of these teams that have that have these gaudy records, but haven't played anybody yet. Right. And look, I get it, man. When you got a young team and you've got to put a system in and they have to believe in it, you want to you want to do that while you're winning. And so lining up some cupcakes and knocking them down, I get it. But but man, if you've got some older players and an established program, you know, whether it's Kentucky or what, go play somebody. <laughs> and I promise you that the team that, that the players are not going, hey, I really want to play directional school. Let's go. They they don't care. They want to play the big games. Fans want to play the big games. There's a difference between important and big. Like, look, all these games are important, but they're not all big. And the players <laughs> know it. They want to play the big games. That that you know, that's a great by the way, important and big. You you must have used that on, on a jury at one point. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, you think I, that, that's not that's not big. I can see you walking back and forth, maybe kind of fixing your glasses, arms folded, leaning over a little bit. Let me just show you the difference here in important and big now. <laughs> but that that had to be, I mean, even for you, Seth, when you were coaching. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to talk out of school like like somehow it's all a big conspiracy, but but you wanted to coach big games, too. And I know there's stuff that goes into the coaches keeping their jobs and getting wins and all that stuff and building a program. I get it. But I'm talking more about, you know, the established guys, the established programs like, you know, I can't imagine Jay Wright. You know, nobody likes to lose like he's lost three games. That's unusual for him at this point of the year. But look who they played. And I think in the long run, it has to, when did it change? Remember back when Denny Crum was in his earlier days at Louisville and all, all the announcers like us would be, well, that's really going to pay off in March. The schedule they're playing now, Denny Crum's teams are always better in the March when they go lose games on the road or something. And he got praised for it. Now, now you lose a game or God forbid, like Purdue went to overtime the other night. What's wrong with Purdue? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with Purdue? They're freaking great. And uh, right. I, I don't know. When, when did the, do you know when this changed and now losing a game in basketball is like the, the, this horrible thing, like everybody loses, you know, since John Wooden retired, people lose. It's okay. <laughs> I think more and more guys are scared. Like, you know, Jay said he was going to play this schedule because he had those super seniors that came back. And he said, you know, as a tribute to them, that, you know, they wanted to come back. Plus, they get stuck with those, you know, those big five games. So that, you know, yeah, they right. four games that they ultimately get stuck with. And then some guys backloaded, like, you know, Kentucky, they played a, a easy schedule, started with a tough. And, you know, but now they have Notre Dame, Ohio State, Louisville, which, which is a little bit more competitive. But I think that I agree with you. I mean, it, you know, to me, those those other games you were talking about, those directional schools. Now, I was one of the directional schools at one point. When I <laughs> you know, I mean, but but when you're not one of those schools, like those are throw up games as a coach. Like I'm, I'd much rather like you know go strap it on, you know, and play. You know, like Columbus State, we played Memphis. We tried to play. We tried to play good teams because mm-hmm. you know, shoot, it was just better. How about Jay, here's my last Jay Wright thing. Forget about that. He looks like George Clooney. Forget about he even looks quarters <laughs> in. Like, even when he gets his ass kicked, he puts out the nicest tweet in the history of life. Oh, great competing against Baylor. They're so tough. They're so competitive. You know, good luck. I mean, like, come on, Jay. One time said, I'm pissed off. We got our ass kicked and we got, I mean, 
just give us a little crumb, will you please? I guarantee you that latter part that you just said, he said to his team the next day of practice. <laughs> well, I've been there. I've heard, I've heard. <laughs> His practices are no different than most of ours. That's right. <laughs> God, God forbid. Yeah. God forbid we have a gentleman. We have gentlemen in the game that uh, behave the right way. I mean, there, there's, <laughs> you can like Jay Wright is, is, and look, he's not alone. There are a whole bunch of them out there, but sure. Uh, that, that balances being a nice, thoughtful person with being a cutthroat competitor. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. And Lafonso was exhibit a in that. Uh, you know, except for, uh, except for, you know, this weekend up at Notre Dame when he was being honored, like Seth, he's going to be impossible now. Uh, you would have thought he'd pick up a check while we were up there, you know, send a bottle of wine over, you know, nothing. I mean, it's, it's over. (laughs) Who is charging you in South Bend anyway? I mean, you you could have picked it up and they were going to charge you anyway. Uh, it was my bad. I, I, I had family in town, and I was just distracted. And my 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 my, my fault. Here. Next time, next time. I'm sorry, hey, Seth. For our first game day uh, on January fifteenth, um, we need you and I need to get together and decide each week who's gonna who's gonna bring the rose petals to throw at Fonz's feet when he walks in. <laughs> I mean, I think we should. I think we should alternate. So I'll do it one week, then you do it the next, and, and all that. <laughs> Hey, hey Fonz says the first time we go on the road, uh, you know, he's he's got lunch. We'll go to that because I think we'll probably end up being in that place in Kansas. What's that place where you take a buck fifty hamburger? Yeah. Uh, the, the, wheel. the wagon wheel. The wheel. Yeah, the wheel. Fonz says he's got lunch at the wheel. I'll get you yeah. two burgers. <laughs> Great. He'll be ordering the vegan special. <laughs> well, hey, that was good stuff. Uh, Kevin Weller can't thank him enough i mean yes. so genuine so real and, and i meant that like his dad you know he talks about coach patino and the influence he had on him which was great but ralph willard former head coach at st dominic's high school uh and pitt and western kentucky and holy cross and well ralph willard was a heck of a coach really really good coach and a, and a really good guy so we really appreciate kevin joining us yes 